Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, and Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And uh, Noel, how's it going this week? Uh, it's, it's going okay. I think it's a, it's been a long week. Um, I had kind of forgotten that I had even gotten a flu shot on Monday yesterday, which is how long of a week it's been is I forgot I got one on Monday, even though <laughs> this was also like the first year I've ever had a negative reaction to a flu shot. I've been getting a flu shot for like well over a decade and I woke up with like fevers and chills um the like at like two or three o'clock in the morning the day that the day after technically i got my flu shot and that was the first time i've ever had a negative response to a flu shot before um so that was unpleasant but it also set the tone for the rest of the week of just being kind of meh so it's okay so listeners also peeking behind the curtain i'm sleepy because i woke up from a nap and i'm still not awake We were discussing before, uh, before we started recording that we we definitely need the Amy Sosa nap like bunker. Oh yeah, yeah, all about that. One pillow for your head, one for cuddling, uh-huh. and the 11 p.m. news. And it's just like <laughs> in my brain, I just went, but shouldn't it be the 10 p.m. news because they're on Central Time. They're Central Time, but just don't, yeah. just don't, just don't yeah. worry about it. I, yeah, I just, re- I just realized that 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 was a major error that they made there because isn't local news at ten o'clock? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought because I've got I'm borrowing friend of the show's Corey Barker's YouTube TV, and so we just get all the Peoria feed, so we're super in the know <laughs> about Peoria now. Um, I just remember growing up in the Central Time Zone, and like when I found it, like really figured out the the eastern time zone thing just being like wait all y'all's tv starts at eight how do you watch anything like you gotta go to bed and get this how how i'm so confused um and just being grateful that i was central time zone because i there's no way i would have been able to watch any tv really if i had been on either coast yeah no it's i mean i've basically stopped watching live tv when i moved over here for Mm -hmm. some reason um well not for some reason because i was waking up at four in the morning for like a couple of years because I was working East Coast hours when I first moved over here. So yeah, that basically stopped me from watching live TV. Um, now I just don't because I like going to bed at eight o'clock and reading for an hour before I fall asleep. See, I had to stop doing that because an hour turned into like three hours and I wasn't falling asleep. I was just like staying up till like two in the morning. It was bad. Well, I should also preface it with then I watch an hour of videos on YouTube typically before. <laughs> that I find that to be helpful. Yeah, as well. Yeah. So, no. Yeah. So I normally watch whatever they whatever Colbert and Myers drop or mm-hmm. first thing and then I sometimes watch a Smash Brothers video and then I mm-hmm. go to bed. <laughs> yeah. I I yeah, that's how I get my first we feast and uh hot ones content, you know, and yeah. all, all of that other good stuff. Um this week in TV news, there was some other stuff, but the main thing for us is that Cloak and Dagger was unfortunately canceled. There was a really sweet uh, Twitter thread from the creator talking about, um, you know, trying to just really be grateful for the fact yeah. that he got to do the show and that they did such a wonderful job with it and that he had so much support when it was on the air. And yeah, it's disappointing, um, but not all that surprising, I guess, with, you know, all of the Disney merger 
you know shenanigans happening currently um so yeah we're we're definitely gonna miss it though yeah i'm very disappointed um and yeah it was not surprising given that marvel is re restructured itself to give um kevin fee who's previously overseen marvel studios the cinema arm just a massive amount of creative and editorial control over the rest of marvel um and like the current head of marvel tv uh jeff Loeb, is expected to step down if he hasn't already and they've just muscled out ike perlmutter who's the guy who's been overseeing all of marvel sort of air quotes um kind of out of a lot of creative decision making which is good because ike perlmutter is a scumbag but <laughs> it's just weird and i get the big question mark for me is what happens to runaways it's on Hulu, but it doesn't fit with anything else. Um, but yeah, so I suspect it'll get axed, but I'm, I've been surprised before. But I'm very sad about Cloak and Dagger because I was really looking forward to their third season. Yeah, no, definitely. It was a really special show. Well, and they're going to pop up on the the characters are going to pop up on Runaways for an episode or two. But, uh, but yeah, it, we'll see what happens, you know. Crazier things have happened than a revival of characters a couple years later on a different network or streaming platform, but I wouldn't hold out all of that, uh, all too much hope for that. Um, certainly, we enjoyed what we were able to see of, of it. And uh, yeah, it's getting me to watch Runaways again. So that's something. <laughs> <laughs> Good work, Cloak and Dagger. Um, this week, we're going to be spotlighting David Chang's new Netflix uh, travelogue show, uh, Breakfast, Lunch, and Dinner. And I don't know if this will be one that returns with like multiple seasons. If so, this will be season one. If not, then this is just a four off you know like four one hour episodes um that's coming at the end of the show and certainly was it was uh not something i like i didn't see anybody talking about i wasn't expecting it just kind of popped up on when i looked at what was coming out soon on netflix and given how much i really appreciated ugly delicious i you know thought maybe this would be worth dipping in with yeah and listeners will find out if that was worth dipping in with uh at the end oh ominous lead in <laughs> so we'll be talking about that at the end of the show. Uh, but for now, we're going to go to our week in TV. It's going to be a shorter one this week because we're kind of holding off on a few shows to kind of see how a few things play out. But um, I, you know, I'm sure people will be expecting Oklahoma from me because I'm me and I love Oklahoma. Yeah. We're going to uh, zag on you. I know. And then I was going to do Suddenly Seymour because the unicorn did a whole thing with Little Shop. And I love how, by the way, Side note, I love how Little Shop is really just completely in the norm now and like yeah. the mainstream in a way that it definitely wasn't, even no. just like five, ten years ago. Um, but I couldn't decide between which version, too many versions. So instead, we're just gonna listen to some Mozart. <laughs> so Yeah, but which 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 version? We're going to listen to the version that I believe is the version used in Watchmen this week. Okay. Uh, so much of piano concerto number 21, the Andante movement performed by, uh, I don't know how to pronounce this name, so I'm going to try and I apologize uh, ahead of time. Geno, or Yeno Yando. That's and, probably correct. Yeah. yeah. And the consensus Hungaricus, the Hungarian concert orchestra conducted by Andres Ligeti. So, oh, uh, well, that's good. I do like Ligeti's conducting. So that's going to be our, our music here uh, going into our weekend TV. We'll be right back after this.
That was Mozart's Piano Concerto Number 21, the Andante movement, or at least part of it. <laughs> Certainly we're not playing the whole thing, um, which was featured, of course, this week in Watchmen. The, the series premiered and the first episode is it's summer and we're running out of ice. And we'll talk about that title and much more in a little bit. But we'll also be talking this week about Batwoman, Down, 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 Arrow, Welcome to Hong Kong. Noel is back with Chiara Fuhrer, of course, because season three dropped and it's very exciting. It is only one episode, and yeah, I'll talk about it. <laughs> then I'm going to talk a little bit about Drag Race UK, which had Snatch Game this week. Um, the timing of this is interesting because it aired in the UK and on World of Wonder Plus on YouTube, but it has it's going to air in the US next week on Logo. So okay. we'll be navigating spoilers very specifically for that. Um, but we'll round out our Waking TV with The Good Place, Employee of the Bear Me. Which is just delightful. Um, so first up is Watchmen. Neither of us was planning to actually really watch Watchmen. <laughs> and then all of Who the... Who watches the Watchmen? Exactly. Not us. Yes. <laughs> and then all of the takes started coming fast and strong. And we're like, oh, damn it, we're going to have to watch it. And I was immediately glad that I did. Because at least so far, this is so totally my shit. Like, I'm just such a sucker for the Lindelof things. Like, the, that mm-hmm. that character focus and interesting and confusing and maybe off-putting or challenging themes and really examining um, difficult and complicated people and situations. Uh, so, so this is very much myself. I kept seeing in all these reviews, oh, just, you know, it's a little slow at first. Just kind of, you know, you know take a couple weeks, but trust us, it's worth it. And I was like... What episode y'all watching? I am in from the jump. Uh, but that's also because, as previously stated, this is like this is just Kate Nip. So, um, what did, what did you think of the premiere of Watchmen? I liked it. Um, I was not as like whole all in as you were, um, and as a friend of mine was was also just immediately all in. Um, but I see so many things within it that I really like and really respond to um i think one of the distancing things was all the little acknowledgements of watchmen as a property within it which makes sense but some things just got a little heavy-handed for me sometimes um and i was just like okay yes no i get it i get it i don't need all these like little sly type of acknowledgements like the eggs in the shape of a smiley face um or as much as i appreciated like the final shot of the blood splattering onto the um whatchamacallit onto the badge a la the comedian smiley face pen um it was just like all right damon i get it you get this episode to do all this (laughs) do your own thing even though you are already doing your own thing in this so i'm intrigued and i want to keep watching more in no small part as you said, because of the early reviews of it, particularly Emily Vanderwerf's over at Vox, um, was just like, oh, yeah, well, I know Emily's deep in the tank for Lindelof, but I'm also deep in the tank for Lindelof sometimes. So <laughs> I guess that's fair. I guess that's a fair, fair, that's, this is a fair assessment. Um, so I'm very eager to watch more. I'm really, I'm really excited for Gene Smart to show up. Um, cause she's delightful. Um, I'm really eager for more of Jeremy Irons chewing a lot of scenery in that castle because <laughs> all God, of the scenery. Just, 
there's just not going to be a castle left, Kate. Yeah. Um, but I'm mostly eager for the larger explorations that we're going to be getting based on what those early reviews told us are coming down the pipeline. And I'm eager for anything that gives Regina King this kind of material um, because it's great and her stuff in particular is really, really good. And I'm, I'm excited about that. I am also excited about more people making snide remarks about President Robert Redford while fully being aware that I would have voted for Redford at least three times. <laughs> yeah, in the Watchmen universe, I definitely voted for Redford. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the thing. It's just like, I definitely voted for Redford at least twice. In separate elections, listeners. In, sep- in separate, yes, separate elections. Yes. Yes. Um, it's so funny. Um, Regina King is just so clearly relishing what she's yes. getting to do here. You know, there's yeah. a lot to sink her teeth into immediately. There's so much for her to, to, to explore. And we're only one episode in there. I mean, I fully understand anyone who's hesitant about the show's racial politics and about the representations of fascism and the police force. And I saw some people, uh, for me watching this first episode, there's no way that the show in this so far is, uh, celebrating or lionizing the police because uh, of the mirroring of the fascist imagery between the 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 Seventh Cavalry, which are their like KKK stand-in, and uh, and the the police force, but but I mean I could see how people would think that the police force meet in a brutalist minimalist secret bunker that just basically screams fascism. <laughs> they torture people. They kidnap people from their homes with no like no evidence, like. To me, it seems very obvious that this is not being set up as a good thing, but I could see how people who are just, who aren't familiar with Lindelof, um, are just seeing the cool comic book action kind of beats and interpreting that as being a positive thing, uh, not something more complicated. Uh, so, yeah, this, I was just seeing that little bit of that on Twitter. People were like, wow, what show? did you watch because we watched we watched very we watched the same show with a very different tone like we had yeah. interpreted the tone very differently um but for me i have a lot of faith in lindelof so that i feel i feel comfortable i feel like i'm in good hands um and so we'll see if i get burned by that but so far at least it's it's exploring some interesting things and has clearly has some things it wants to say opening with the tulsa race riots which was basically just a bunch of a white mob killing a bunch of black people and destroying an entire community, uh, which is an interesting thing to call a, a race riot, as if there were two sides to that. But um, yeah. a historical f- event that you know I I knew about because of podcasts that are that I listen to about history and things that you know like stuff you miss in history class and you know another podcast that it, you know shed a light on parts of American history that people don't learn about that they should. I did not learn about it in school at all, and so it was. It was really great to see, again, in the dis- discussion around the show, people going like, oh, this is a thing that actually happened. This isn't the fiction. This is our history still. That's upsetting. And it really is. I thought they, they, that was shot really well. It was a certainly a striking way to start the show. And I'm very curious about how the episode ends. And I'm assuming we're going to get quite a bit more with that thread. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, that's really interesting to me. The the masks I really was digging as well. That silver mask. To going going from the Rorschach thing and and the way that is sort of twisted, in in, in a very I think 
smart and appropriate way 30 years past the Watchmen comic. And then then kind of contrasting that with Mirrorball or whatever the name of uh, Looking Glass. Looking Glass. Thank you. Uh, I yeah. thought that was fascinating and really, really interesting. And then I also have some thoughts for you. And I would like to your thoughts on the Jeremy Irons character. But before we get to that, any thoughts on any of this other stuff? Don Johnson having a lot of fun? Don Johnson is having a lot of fun and you can tell he's that he's just really enjoying this kind of relishing moment um for this. Um yeah, no, I think Don Johnson's having a good time. Um I do like the entirety of the police stuff I think is just really really fascinating in terms of again, like the idea that this is lionizing I think is interesting since it's sort of built into the fact that because they're able to hide who they are, it protects them in a myriad of ways is the thing is like it protects them, but it also allows them to do things without repercussions um, in a different way than how the police force operates now and does things without repercussions. Um, So I think that that's what, that's an interesting way to build on that concept of, all right, well, we've turned them into masked heroes, quote unquote, um, and how, how do we grapple that when we're also dealing with a masked white supremacist sort of organization as well that's co-opted this other iconography from 30 years ago? Um, so I think that there's a lot there to unpack, and I'm interested in seeing them unpack it, and early reviews have said that across the six episodes that critics got to watch of the nine... Nine I want to say nine, yeah. yeah. I want to say nine as well, uh, that they're engaged, that they're doing for this first or only season, because I keep seeing this built as a limited series, um, which I don't believe. Um, <laughs> Not at all. But I think that there's plenty there, and I'm interested to see what they continue to do, and I'm also really interested in, to see how um, Louis Gossett Jr.'s character builds into that as well because i really enjoyed that um but i also just really enjoyed the name of regina king's character's sister night restaurant oh wait i didn't think you meant her alter ego yeah but her restaurant is also her great. alter ego is very good but also just milk and hanoi is just excellent it's just very good um and that I think also speaks to the other thing I like about this is like the, just the really quiet world building that they do of Vietnam's the 51st state. There's a number of like other sort of societal things that have kind of shifted around a little bit that they don't dig into directly, but are there along the fringes based on everything that happened during um, Nixon's prolonged administration within the context of this universe. So I'm curious to see what keeps going on. So ask me about Jeremy Irons and I will tell you exactly what I think is going on with Jeremy Irons. Okay. So <laughs> Jeremy Irons is clearly playing Ozymandias. Yes. So, which is very interesting. I haven't decided if I think he's, is he in the same time or not? Um, that is a fair question to ask. And I don't know the answer to that because we see that newspaper declaring that he's dead. Mm-hmm. Um, that his alter ego, Conrad, um, Vite or whatever. Yeah. Vite, yeah. Yeah. Is dead. Um, but no, asking if he's in the correct time or is in the same time period is a, I think a fair question to ask. I don't have an answer for you. Um, because it's a little difficult to tell, um, based on his castle estate (laughs) um yes and his two servants (laughs) 
One yeah. of one of one whom of is, just... is Tim Eisen, by the way. I did not recognize him. I definitely had to look that up. I did not recognize him at all either. Without the the hair and the the beard, yeah. Oh, I kept looking for him, and I just went, maybe he's in episode two. Mm-hmm. No, okay. Well, now I'm gonna have to go back and watch, <laughs> or just wait for the next episode to drop and find him there. But yeah, no, he's definitely playing Azimadias. Um, it'll just be interesting to see if he's concurrent, um, or at some point in events leading up to this or even having time traveled i mean who knows yes yeah That's certainly yeah. something that that character could do <laughs> yes i mean he engineered a number of other things yeah. so why not yeah yeah no. um the last thing i wanted to mention aside from the costume design which i think is terrific and like you said the world building um is the music is terrific I really enjoyed, uh, I think it's Trent Reznor and Atticus Finch, right? That are doing It is, score. yes. It's both. Yeah, it's both of them. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's real good. And the combination of, of pre-existing music, <laughs> the, the use of Oklahoma. The, like, I'm curious how many of these titles are going to be so very on the nose. Um, but... Uh, I hope for- all of them, but... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, soon, as soon as... Because like, it, it pinged for me when when you know, the character Judd says talks about having played Curly in Oklahoma. And I was like, his name is Judd. And he's singing a song from Oklahoma. And the title is It's Summer and We're Running Out of Ice. Hmm. <laughs> and then we know how the episode ends. So um I'm it is gonna be interesting to see if, if they're that on the nose. Um and just how how funny they or just like Eh, eh, pun, eh, eh, they want to be because it's this, it's just so blatant and ridiculous that I kind of love it. So we'll see how they do that for the rest of the season. Yeah, knowing Lindelof, I have to imagine. I mean, all the episode titles have been released, so you can just look at the list and like prep, prime your brain for references, I guess. I just assume that the rest of the references won't be so wheelhouse for me as Oklahoma. <laughs> But that's super duper fair <laughs> we'll see uh, next up is Batwoman and the episode is down 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 we get uh, more Kate and Alice stuff here we get some answers about a little a few things that are going on and uh, the the reveal of the the Batwoman like twist on the bat suit and everything so how did this episode work for you um I kind of actually like this episode a bit more than the previous two this is our third episode um and i don't know and i should say that like i like it all the way up until basically the end of the episode in which there's just a very embarrassing fight scene on a rooftop set that does nothing for me whatsoever and is just kind of embarrassingly bad um in no small part because i don't buy that dear this version of tommy elliott is a someone who can fight (laughs) (laughs) um so i was just like that that doesn't ring true um so there's that aspect of it but i do think that this is the first episode in which i kind of feel like the writers have a solid grip on kate um compared to the last two i feel like both kate and both the writers and ruby rose sort of feel kind of in kate's skin a bit in this episode which i'm really happy about um and i do like that this episode also has um alice slash beth torturing jacob in ways that can feel like degrees of escalation 
while still allowing her to do things that don't involve blowing up the city or killing a bunch of people. Um, so she's still on the table, as it were, as, like, an antagonist, but they're attempting to figure out how to do, like, a villain of the week sort of case, even if that part, I feel like, is kind of muddled um, a little bit, um, in no small part because Gabriel Mann is just weirdly cast as Tommy Elliot, mm-hmm. and I don't understand why Gabriel Mann was not cast as the Riddler, who he name, name drops. <laughs> um, so I'm just like, that feels like a choice. Um, but I should also say I really like Tommy Elliot as a villain character within the Batman universe. And this was just a, this was a weird, this was a weird choice for that character. Um, but I, yeah. So I just generally liked the direction of this episode and feels promising, um, for the show going forward. At least for me, how did you feel about, uh, down, down, down? I enjoyed it. I, like you said, I felt like I was more with Kate though. I've been enjoying her more than you i think so far and ruby rose's performance there was a little more swag to her yes. in a way that i felt really matched these other things we've been told about her but maybe have hasn't been demonstrated as well um i, I enjoyed the flirting with the bartender and all, all of that but you know i think it just felt um like it, 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 it sort of helped some things click into place um to to really crystallize what they've been like saying about the character and how they've been treating her but how it hasn't necessarily come through as much um i like uh i'm enjoying the sister yes not beth the other sister mary who's probably the best character on the show i think yeah i've been enjoying mary and and having the the ex-girlfriend be her body uh body person is the bodyguard is entertaining and i don't know how long that's gonna work but when she's gonna like Gotta ditch my tail so I can go continue being a badass in secret, living this like socially. It's just such a different twist on the like the Bruce Wayne is a is like a socialite dandy sort of yes. by day thing. Yes, in, in which I appreciate that she's the one doing that and not Kate, and because yeah. Kate would be terrible at trying to do that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I I appreciate that, that that's how they kind of work. I don't know if maybe that's in the comics. I don't know, but. I appreciate that that's how they work that in. Yeah, no, I'm like 98% sure that Mary, along with her mother, Catherine, are both, um, whatchamacallits, um, originals for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, in part because Kate in the comics does not have a particularly deep bench of supporting characters, um, which is part and parcel because Kate is actually a loner, unlike Bruce, who just has this massive family around him, despite being a serious <laughs> loner type who keeps people at arm's <laughs> distance. He has 80 sidekicks. Um... <laughs> Kate is actually a loner who has very has a very small supporting cast base. Um, so they had to like give her Luke Fox <laughs> and then also build up this family through Jacob um, to have more people on their show. Um, so no, I think Mary and Catherine, who is Jacob's wife, Mary's mom, Kate's stepmom, um, are all originals for the show. But no, I, I really like your take on... Uh, Mary as a Bruce Wayne figure of just instead of being a Cape Crusader, she's Leslie Tompkins, basically the woman who runs the clinic that like Bruce goes to underground type of stuff, but also that helps 
um, whatchamacallit, helps underserved communities. And that's what she does. And I just, I really like that framing of it because it is very Bruce Wayne and it was something I hadn't drawn a connection to. So thank you for that. That's really, really good. Something that's not really, really good is trying to sell the idea that a 12-year-old and an adult use the same size cello. Because that's not not how it works. (laughs) (laughs) As you get bigger... The cello has to get bigger, too. And there's a full size. But we've seen what Beth looked like in the flashback. She was right. not full size yet. She was nope. not the same. She did not have the same arm span. And, like, she would not have been using it. So the notion that she was playing Beth's cello, but it was a full size cello, it just was like, it broke my head a little bit. Um, And, yes, yeah, she was playing the Bach Prelude, right? I believe so, which is the other thing. Like, your brain broke because of the size of the cello. My brain broke because everyone f***ing plays Bach on the cello. That's that's why cellos exist. It's just like... Oh. Only Beth would know that song. I Well, I mean, and, and given how rich the family apparently... I mean, it seems like, like they married into the money with the, yeah. the second wife. But yeah. if... They were rich before, and I just don't remember that. They're Possibly. they're relatively well off as cousins of the Waynes. Uh, yeah. They're not like as well off, but they're generally well off enough. Anyway, it, continue. It is possible that you would have a nice enough cello that you would be able to tell that that was that person, like that specific instrument, if they had a shit ton of money and therefore could spend on a really nice cello and a really nice bow um, for their kid. And and that is the kind of thing that it seems like this family would have done if, if Beth was very serious about the cello. But like... Then it really needed to be <laughs> a fractional cello. Oh, man. Bach is like prob- Bach is probably my favorite composer for violin. Yes. Um, and I I adore Bach, and I love that cello. I mean, it's everybody plays it, everybody knows it. Yes, but I don't really care because it's so beautiful. Um, yes. So it is a very cliche choice. It's not a particularly inter- interesting choice. Um, and just like if they had had, if they had just if they had just had a fractional cello, it would have been. So great. It would have been so specific and neat and would have shown such care and awareness. And instead, they didn't. At least that's what I remember. Maybe I didn't look close enough, but she wasn't, she didn't look like she was playing too small of a cello, right? I don't think so. No. Yeah. I don't no, think she was. It's, it, it stuck out to me enough to notice, but not enough to rewind and make sure. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I wanted to mention that because I'm me. My question is then, I mean, at least, well, not so much a question, but a comment of is on the upside, you're probably never going to see that cello again, but you're going to keep seeing Bradley Whitford conducting on Perfect (laughs) Harmony. No, they haven't had him conducting recently, which has been good. This week he didn't conduct at all. Well, that's good. because he kind of like waved a little bit, but like... It was a dramatic tempo change that worked. Yeah, no, because we we watched um, the Singles Night episode recently, and I was just waiting for it. And he just does a little bit when they slow down um, Electric Slide. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I don't know if you're doing anything, but the focus isn't on you in any of these cuts. So I'm sure Kate's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're thinking of me. Yes, I did. So I was like, okay, yeah, no, that does seem like a, like, and we're all, we're going really big. So everybody sees me. Okay. <laughs> that was, yeah. That worked for me. Yeah. Um. So yeah. yes. Yeah. We'll, I imagine we won't get any more cello, but. Yeah. <laughs> this is just so funny for me because as we record this, I'm going to go do a hall of faces tomorrow 
uh, oh, okay. talking about the West Wing. And we are okay. definitely talking about Bradley Woodford and Yo-Yo Ma in <laughs> tomorrow. Oh, so it's just very on brand for me today. Uh, let's go to our next episode. And that's Arrow. Welcome to Hong Kong. Um, so this one, I appreciate what they're doing this season with a very standalone thing. I appreciate them bringing in familiar faces and and yes. and really tying, like making this a, a victory lap kind of season. I just, this one felt like a, this one felt like that Cloak and Dagger episode where they go into the video game. This felt like just like, ah, and ah. now we have to do a thing and then we say a thing and then we have a fight. And then we have to go do a fight. Like, why is everything like, and then they get jumped by three guys. Why can't they just like once just like walk in and they just go to the cafe and the internet cafe, whatever, and get the thing. It looks dodgy. So they leave like just once. I'd like that. I I, I don't watch the show for the stunts. I know a lot of people do, and I'm sure they love this episode. But for me, it just that really when it fell into those beats so completely, it really stripped a lot of the energy out of the episode for me. Yeah, and I think that's super duper fair. Um, it's a really choppy episode because of that is the larger problem here. Um, and it, in part because of one season spending just so much time in Hong Kong as part of the flashbacks, it felt like a flashback episode, which is not good. Like, it's not what you want. Um, and that was that was also like the kind of frustration part. The other, I think, larger frustration was the fact that the show's never done particularly well by China White slash Kelly Hugh. Um, so, like, she always just kind of pops up, but she's never been, like, a major recurring threat or danger to the show, um, which is frustrating when, as much as I like that character, and more so that actor in particular, um, they've just never done right by her, and so that was, uh, frustrating, um, as well. It just kind of escalated the, just kind of general sort of, oh, yeah, victory lap, fun, oh, Katana's back, Tatsu's here, that's cool. That's that's nice, but that was kind of where it boiled down to. Oh, it was nice to see this character again, who kind of who likes Oliver, but also hates Oliver, which is where everyone is on this show. But <laughs> um, it was still, I still, I still liked seeing them, and again, it gives it that nice kind of button um, and victory lap aspect of it. Um, what I don't like is Lila lying to everyone, um, and I don't, I don't care for that. I don't care for that. Yeah, kid. but it's it's the monitor, so like I feel like nobody can say anything, you know? Like what are you yeah. going to say? You know, like the exact same thing that you're doing that you want to tell yeah. us about is what I'm doing. Like so I was okay with it. Uh but but yeah, I I very much appreciate the pivot towards the end. I do think uh you know, in front of the show Alison Shoemaker is covering the show over at the AV Club. She talked about this episode really highlighting the ways that Ollie has changed over the course of the yeah. show and you know that maturity from him and and just like fi- finally going like okay yeah, I should probably just do like a cursory background check to make sure that this guy is who he says he is like e- at least try to figure that out because I am definitely the exact person <laughs> that somebody like this guy would go to to hoodwink if he was evil so yeah Let's at least, you know, I appreciated that quite a bit. Um, you mentioned Kelly, who I do. I mean, I remember watching her back on Martial Law back in the day yeah. and really enjoying her on that show, which I'm sure if I rewatched it is terrible. <laughs> but I, I have no doubt in my mind that it probably does not hold up beyond just like being a fun, disposable show. But uh, I, I have a str- quite an affinity for her from that show. And I always want more for her. Um, when she's on Arrow. Uh, so I thought yeah. this was okay. There were some good fight yeah. scenes and stuff, but, you know, you always want a little more. Yeah. 
Always. Yeah. You know what I am getting a little more of? I was going to (laughs) say, speaking of wanting a little more, Charifuru is back for season three, and this week we had On a Summer Night. So so talk to me. What did you think? Six years, Kate. It's been six years Mm -hmm. since season two of Chihayafuru. And so I'm watching only a couple of shows, um, anime uh, this season, um, including uh, Food Wars and My Hero Academia. Um, My Hero Academia is a not a good show and yet i keep watching it but their entirety of their first episode back this this season was basically just 30 minutes of recap and it's just like that's not okay you have only been off for like a year you can't do your premiere as just recap and then chihiro spends half of its episode doing recap and explaining how the game works (laughs) (laughs) but i was like no it's been six years. This is okay. I can accept this. It it has been six years since we have gotten any of Chihaya Furu, um, anime-wise. Uh, they've done a couple of live-action movies um, in between then and now. Um, so, no. So, the episode basically starts with reusing some footage from the first two seasons. <laughs> and then doing a whole new, like, Chihaya as a middle schooler trying to convince one of her friends from the track team to start playing um, Katara. And... They explain the rules. So in an actual, like, not in how they've explained it in the past, but actual, like, anime diagram type stuff of how to play the game. I was just like, they've never done this before. They must feel like they need to do this now. Because <laughs> they they always explain the rules in, like, the simplest, and not even not even the simplest ways, just in the most direct ways, not simple ways. Mm-hmm. And this was very simple. <laughs> um, but then they pick up in the... Um, Second half, dealing with um, Chihaya and Taichi going to the Fujisaki camp. And the Fujisaki uh, High School, if you remember from our Make You Watch-a-thon, were the, the really good team in Season 2 that uh, beat them in the uh, team tournament. Um, and so at the end of that season, their coach allowed two of their players to... Taichi and Chihaya to go to the summer camp, uh, which is a, basically just a weekend camp. And so we get to see them. Um, it's very much sort of like getting us back into the groove of things. Um, but there's also setting things up now because um, Chihaya has to start acknowledging Taichi as a class A player of someone who he is going, she is going to play against. And they do actually have a match in this episode that we don't see. Um, and this it's not even withholding it either. It's just like we cut to them going back home from the camp and Tai Chi beat her. Um, but Not cool. Not cool. Not cool. But at the same time, I'm okay with it because Chihaya's right hand is still in like its brace and is recovering from the surgery she had at the end of season two. So she's not at full strength. So she's, she's losing, but she's not being able to play at her optimal level. So I'm just like, yeah, no. Even Tai Chi would be like, I want to show you my love. <laughs> and this is how I do it. But I, but the show withholding that, I think, just works really, really well for me. As much as I was just like, yes, yes, we're going to get it. We're going to get it. And then it's like, no, you're not. And I just went, okay. Because she's not, she's not in her prime back. She's not back at her prime. So she needs to be at her prime. And that's going to, that's going to be when we get that conflict, I think. And that's, I'm really excited to see that. And I'm hoping we get that this season. Um, so 
Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. So an okay start, but also just like, it's been six years. They had a lot of like, we need to recap a bunch of stuff. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's been a while, guys. It's been a while. We've been off for a while. So Mm. here's some recap stuff. Um, So it's fine. It's good. Um, But I'm eager for like next week's episode already. I'm just like, just give it to me now, please. Just put it into my eyes. Um, but yeah, so if you want to watch it, it's over on Crunchyroll, uh, subtitled. Um, so yeah. Go check it out. Okay. Go check it out. Yeah. But tell me now about, uh, Drag Race UK and their Snatch Game episode, uh, without getting into spoilers, um, for our listeners, you can spoil me as much as you want because Mm -hmm. I'm not watching this. Yeah. Um, Snatch Game, uh, was one of the best in in drag race history i would say i don't know that i would say it's better than the season six one but it's close it's it's a very high average and Mm -hmm. um the there's some tension because multiple people want to do maggie thatcher and so there's a question of if they're going to have dueling maggies or (laughs) if one of them will step down and use a secondary character um it it was it's a very solid snatch game so i i you know i don't want to over inflate expectations for any of the listeners because you know that's like the worst thing you can do for snatch game keep those expectations low and then just enjoy the fun but uh but no it, it, these queens were pretty quick on their feet all things considered and there were a couple that weren't didn't do too great but um at least they came with interesting characters and they came prepared which was which was nice this season of drag race uk the reason i wanted to mention it is because i am just I am loving it. I am having so much fun. And I'm certain a significant part of that is that I don't have to write about it. So I can, <laughs> I can yeah. just watch it and just go like, ooh, this is fun. Who's going to win? I don't have to think about like what the way that the editing is working towards the overall narrative of the season. I can just go, oh, it's pretty. <laughs> and like, oh, that was shady. They're so funny. Um, but I think a lot of it is the queens that they have. It's It's a really interesting batch there's a lot more comedy queens there i mean it's just a different style of drag in the uk than it would be certainly the the style of drag most featured and celebrated on drag race you know just the original recipe over in the u.s there's certain things that at this point you know 11 seasons in we all know will work and will get you through to the end rounds of the show so it's what everybody does um and because this is a first season of her series of the show on the bbc there there's just an energy to the to the to to the episodes and to the queens that has been lacking on drag race for a long time even the less polished queens in the u.s are very aware of all of the 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 game that goes into the reality tv part of it and there's certainly some of that here but it feels a lot less structured and produced from the queens themselves um while of course there's still plenty of that from the show but but yeah i think that it's just it's been a lot of fun there are some really talented queens uh the overall average i think is pretty good and it's just really delightful to to watch them all in the workroom it's just a different perspective and it's 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 super fun um the my current favorite is bag of chips um which is just you know Come on, it's a great name. Um, the Vivian is also crushing it, and those two are the front runners right now. Um, I I will say, Bag of Chips does Maggie Thatcher, and the Vivian does Donald Trump, and does a, they both do a really really good job. 
in Snatch Game. And if that intrigues you, listeners, go go find and watch a Snatch Game because, yeah, I wouldn't have thought I wanted to see uh, Trump on on Drag Race, but uh, but I actually ended up really enjoying the segment. Uh, th- they've had good and interesting guests. They've had nice banter between um, their celebrities they bring in and the 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 other judges and the queens. But uh, yeah, it's it's just been super fun. It's it's uh, very refreshing and feels like a just a breath of fresh air for the show, which is essential heading into All Stars Five and then see, uh, season twelve, and then they're doing a Celebrity Drag Race too. Uh, like as well next year so like it's just it's good for to feel like there is some new energy and revitalization happening in the drag race franchise yeah no i can see that are they talking about margaret thatcher and Mm -hmm. as maggie okay yeah because i've just never heard that okay oh yeah oh yes margaret thatcher yes okay i was just like i was just like in my brain i was just like is Kate conflating Maggie Smith and Margaret Thatcher? No, or... of course not. No, I didn't think so. <laughs> but also now I kind of want to see that. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that could be fun. That could that could be a dual uh, Snatch Game character situation. Yeah. Um, our last episode for a week in TV is The Good Place, employee of the Barami. And we, we see, uh, we get answers to some of our questions. And, and certainly yes. we, we get uh, some time in the bad place. How did this work for you? I like this episode, even if it also feels like a, all right, now we can do the show episode. (laughs) (laughs) We can commence with the season type of thing, which um, has me like, as much as I liked last week's episode in terms of like the emotional stuff that it drug up a little bit. um, um, This episode, I think is a good resolution to all of that. Um, And I enjoy any, any attempt to visit the bad, any excuse to kind of visit the bad place, I think is generally pretty solid. And so while I liked a lot of this, um, I think what I really kind of keyed on to and wanted really much more time with was Tani's struggles with what is my role in all of this? What am I getting out of this as, as opposed, what am I getting out of this basically? And what am I contributing? Um, and I really like that tension that this episode sort of gives, but I feel like just doesn't fully embrace in because they've got to do the whole, we have to rescue Janet thing. Um, so I was just like, yeah, this is really good. And I really like this because you can see as even across this season that Tahani's sort of struggling with what am I, what am I here for exactly? And how am I contributing? And I like that. Um, but I just felt like this episode just didn't give that enough space. And I wanted a lot more space for that. Um, because it was an interesting question. Tahani hasn't gotten a lot of non-Jason related stuff, um, in like my recent memory that also was not about her sister. Um, so I liked, again, I wanted just a little bit more of that and just didn't quite get there for me. But at the same time, I can't get too upset because... Ted Danson doing his impression of um, what's her name who plays Vicky <laughs> doing ham is just it's really good and I really like it a lot and I just I, it makes up for just a lot of things for me um, so I generally enjoyed um, Employee of the Bear Me and um, Folds <laughs> um, oh no he broke his clavicle <laughs> the uh 
yeah the stuff that we get in the bad place is super fun everything with sean is delightful um the discussion of demons changing and and how that developed you know there's there's a lot there that i think Danson particularly really nails and shout out to to Danson getting arrested with Jane Fonda this week protesting for climate change um and yeah it it, the episode I thought was was super fun I I I agree the stuff with Tahani was significantly overdue Uh, Eleanor and Tahani are always terrific together and the show has been significantly underserving that relationship in favor of relationship stuff with Eleanor and Chidi Uh, however I just adored Cheaty's excitement over a puzzle. Yes. <laughs> the, Ooh, there's already clues. Uh, it was just, it's very in character for him and super fun. Uh, and Derek, uh, the resetting Derek, I'm intrigued by because you know that that's gonna, ha- there's another shoe to drop for that. Yeah. And um, I'm very interested to see what, what's gonna happen there. But uh, Menzikis was, of course, terrific and a lot of fun as, as Derek. <laughs> just struggled to maintain anything yeah um so yeah it was it was a uh, it was a, a strong episode certainly i thought paid off the things that we needed it to and we'll see what comes next so on that note what wins your week in tv um that's a good question um i'm still enjoying the flash uh for reasons i'm not sure about yet <laughs> um i think it's still a lot of it like this season being weirdly about grief both past but also preemptive um and loss i think it's just somehow they've figured out a way to even make their big bad sort of feed into that in a way and as much as i just still find that character just really terrible and this episode really drives that home um it's still all kind of works in a way that I feel like the flash for me anyway, has not worked in a very long time. Um, but I think I'll give it to, I think I'll give it to, I guess good place. Um, yeah, it's a good place for Watchmen, I guess. Um, Watchmen only for like the promise of stuff to come, Uh, but also good place for the same reason, because now I've got like, the sh- the season I feel like can actually start now, <laughs> um. So both be- for the same reasons. <laughs> what about you? Well, I want to give a quick shout out to what's always sunny in Philadelphia. The gang, uh, the gang texts, uh, and it was it, it was much funnier than it had any right to be. Um, but for me, it's not close. It's definitely Watchmen. It's summer and we're running out of ice. Uh, I was just, it, it, it was, it's been a while since I watched something. It felt immediately electrified and like, Oh, I can't wait to see what other people think. And, and, and that's exactly the kind of TV I most enjoy. Um, when, I, when it's kind of TV, that's just going to stick with you and, and you're going to keep turning it over and thinking about it. And, and I'm sure, um, yeah, I look forward to reading in front of the show Angelica J. Bastien's coverage over at Vulture and seeing what she has to say about the show. But it's one that I finished the episode and it made me more curious. And that's something I really value in my TV. So, yeah, I, I'm very excited for that season. Now we'll take a break and we'll come back with our spotlight on breakfast, lunch and dinner. <laughs> And the food's like amazing. That's one of the best things I've ever tasted. (laughs) You're my tour guide. Cheers. This is a dream. What is anything? I never know. I just go for it. That's oil. (laughs) 
believe he just said that. I like countries that there's no cohesive American conception of what is there. What do you think? I love LA because there's still a sense of discovery. I'm always a student of the culture, of the craft. I'm excited to try new things. I was gonna say the best part of traveling is eating, but I think that's wrong. It's the conversations that you have, the people that you meet. It's really perfect. You come out here and you feel more special than you do anywhere else in the world. I have an affinity for places that have a complex history. Whoa, right? I have never seen something like this. Oh, that's good. I I love it. That was a trailer for Netflix's new travelogue, I guess, show, yes. food show, uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. This is David Chang's follow-up to his uh, his most recent Netflix show, Ugly Delicious, which looked at different kinds of like cuisine around the world that don't that don't get the respect uh, or the label of fine dining and really examine socioeconomic reasons as to why and cultural reasons as to why and traveled to all different corners of the, the world to, to explore that topic. This show is much more straightforward. It's four episodes. And in each episode, David Chang um, hangs out with a celebrity in a particular city and they spend the whole day together and they have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And in some cases, second breakfast. <laughs> and day. second dinner. And yeah. Just... I don't know how he and Lena Waith ate that much. <laughs> I have no idea. It's just like, it was so, they got mochi afterwards. Kate. Yeah. They got mochi afterwards. Mochi, listeners, mochi is really filling. It's delicious, but it's delicious sweet rice. It fills you up. <laughs> anyway, sorry. No, it's okay. No, the first episode is in Vancouver with Seth Rogen. The second episode is in Marrakesh with Chrissy Teigen. The third episode is in LA with Lena Waithe. And the fourth episode is in the capital of Cambodia, which I don't remember and I don't have in front of me the name of it. I apologize. So the capital of Cambodia. I'm just going to go with that. So... What I was particularly interested in, in with this um, was I watched the first episode. was like, okay, it's fine. And then I watched yeah. the second episode and immediately liked it a lot more <laughs> just because Chrissy Teigen is just charming and delightful. And there, for me, there was a big variety in like it really each episode depended on the guest and the city and the relationship that, they, that each of these elements had together. Chang with mm-hmm. the guest and and Chang with the city and the guests with the city and, and all of that all mixed up yes. into a blender. And um, I thought it was interesting at times. I thought there were some, some conversations that were very compelling. And then at other times I was just bored. And at other times I was just like, I wanted to reach into the TV and just throttle the stupid Americans. Like yeah. when Chang and Kate McKinnon are like, do Buddhist monks laugh? Do they think things are all so funny, like humans? It's like, wow. Do you not even hear? Do you not even hear yourself? Like the white people and like the white people going to Buddhist monks to like ask what the meaning of happy, like how do you possibly endure all this pain and all this suffering, and how can I be happy? It's like that is such a stereotype and such a trope. To so, so to directly play into that with the show with no sense of awareness was a strange choice i thought and yeah 
so there were, I'm curious what you thought, but there were some parts of it that I thought was really interesting and fun. And there are some parts where I was like, dude, you are not Tony Bourdain. And you, you know that you're not Tony Bourdain, but don't try to be Tony Bourdain. You just do you, you do you. This is like an aspect maybe of Chang's per- personality and his interests. But for me, Ugly Delicious was a much, much, much more interesting show. Yeah. And I think it's, a it's, Ugly Delicious, uh, which this is still branded as Ugly Delicious. It's Ugly Delicious does breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, but Ugly Delicious takes its topic really, really, whatever its topic is, really seriously. There's a lot of research there. Um, and there's also a lot of exploration and talking about the cuisine in a way that elucidates and illuminates and contextualizes both like you said at the top uh, the the cuisine's historical and socio standing that just doesn't exist here there are gestures to it throughout episodes but it just never can properly dig into things as much as it sh- as i think we've come to expect from the, the ugly delicious brand as it were, even if they continuously, again, make gestures to it of like exploring. All right. So we're going to deal with um, the Pan-Asian sort of population of Vancouver. So we're going to kind of explore that, but we're going to use Seth Rogen to do it, Um, which, okay. Um, We're going to do Marrakesh and um, we're going to bring Chrissy Teigen along because Chrissy Teigen comes here and then we find out that Chrissy Teigen doesn't really know anything about Marrakesh. (laughs) And then there's just a lot of weird sort of, I think, running through all of this and what really distracts me from, but particularly within the Marrakesh episode and in the um, Fon Pen episode is the degree of privilege that is just really woven so deeply through both of the excursions it seeps uh, throughout the whole episode yeah yeah those episodes. i mean i like tegan and mckinnon's public personas a great deal um but i dislike both of them so much in these episodes <laughs> um from like the um like, I, I just looked at them getting that tricycle for that little girl and just went, that's a great gift. And then I see where they live and I'm just like, where is she playing with that tricycle? <laughs> I don't understand why this is appropriate. <laughs> um, and but then also like their whole like going off to the like the mountaintop, basically. And um, the joke about, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I want right now. Some hot tea. And I'm just like, motherfuckers. Hot tea is exactly what you want right now. <laughs> it will help you cool down. <laughs> That's the whole point. Um, and then just like you said, everything with the Cambodia trip is just rough. And and it starts off bad with the Apocalypse Now um, homage right in for the cold open. I just went, oh, this, is, this isn't going to go well at all. And it doesn't. Like, it mm-hmm. just goes really poorly, I feel like, of... The monk stuff, the man, I should feel more blessed type of thing. Um, my problems are nothing. And it's just went, yes, but also no, your problems are your problems. And you should have the respect for that. Putting them in a global context, yes, maybe. But also, 
Yeah. You can do things and your problems are legitimate. I learned I learned that really hard in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> the, the notion that everyone in Cambodia is inspiration porn for the yes. visiting Americans and that everyone is like you come here and everyone's so happy and everyone's so hopeful. It's like they're all living their lives. They've yes. got they're like they have their own internal struggles. They have their own like things that they're trying to achieve and that they're dealing with. Don't get me wrong, it's meaningful and powerful to hear them tell their stories and to hear like the the relationship with food to, you know, the Khmer Rouge and the genocide and 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 what that did to the culture and the society and these individual people's experience. Don't get me wrong, that's fascinating. But then to just constantly look at these not like these are individual people, but like they're just like they're the symbol of endurance. And it's like, well, it's like, how did you do this? Like, well, if you didn't do this, you'd die. So that's how you did yeah. it. You know? Yeah. And so the key, yeah, it's just frustrating. And it doesn't even like totally make sense for me either when they're talking about, particularly when they're in Cambodia, because it's just like, I have issues with the fact that the first person we talk to in Cambodia is the reporter, the foreign correspondent reporter. Um, But at the same time, he seems more aware than either of them. Yes. Because it's just like, oh yeah, no, they're, they're just, they've gone through so much and they're still persevering. And he's just like, there's a ton of Chinese here taking their jobs literally from them and changing the very landscape mm-hmm. of what their world is. And they're not getting to actively participate in that or make decisions about that because of that. And it's like, this is never brought up again in this conversation. And it's like, I feel like you're all missing the mark a little bit here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. So it was just really sort of... It, the both of those episodes in particular were just really really frustrating and i just i really struggled with it and then attempts to sort of contextualize food within those cultures and traditions was also frustrating because again like the the marrakesh one has this whole discussion about the glamorization of morocco through american cinema through uh, American and British cinema. Um, so through uh, Casablanca in the 1940s, through Lawrence of Arabia in the 1960s. And then, but we do all the segments in black and white to recall that nostalgia. And it's like, I don't understand what we're doing. You're not, you're not being critical of the nostalgia. You're actively embracing it by doing this in black and white and shooting it in a way that kind of emphasizes a degree of exoticness. And I just, I'm very frustrated and I was very upset given the overall sensitivity that Ugly Delicious demonstrated to both cuisine and to the people talking about it. Um, so that was that was really frustrating. And then just the sort of self-awareness uh, that we see in the Vancouver episode of, all right, yeah, no, I love doing this in terms of highlighting restaurants, but then am I going to destroy the restaurant? Recalling that our article from last year about that um, best of restaurant um, hamburger place, I think in somewhere in Oregon, that basically just shut them out of business to a certain degree. And the reviewer went back and was just like, I'm so sorry I did this. Um, Which also had its whole degree of weird politics and like food culture type stuff, where that also comes into play in particularly in the Vancouver episode where they go to that place that's in a um, parking garage. Uh, but all that food also looked delicious. Um, that I just, 
the degrees to which responsibility and interrogation of that responsibility and response to culture just never seems to come up in this series. And that's really frustrating. Pivoting away, what did you, was there anything that stood out as particularly good um, for you in this? Yeah. Yeah. No, there are things that I, that I really enjoyed. Like I, for me, I really actually enjoyed the Marrakesh episode a lot of it because i so enjoyed the the connection between tegan and chang and their discussions around being you know like the fact that chang's i think fiance but his partner is very pregnant that's why she couldn't come with them on this trip um and that clearly they they all have a, a close relationship and and so like those discussions i thought worked really really well were really interesting i wasn't as fond of the vancouver one though i enjoy rogan just because it's it's like what the what the worst drunk history episodes can devolve into where it's like it's it's not funny for me to watch you get high and wander around a maze that's 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 funny when you're doing it i guess you know i would imagine but but it's not funny to watch it's not interesting to watch um but i did really enjoy some of the conversations with lena waith and certainly that like you know get them exploring different parts of la and and you know sharing you know, those conversations about moving to L.A., Chang's about to move there. There was a more personal connection there that, you know, allowed for some interesting conversations. Um, but but with and, and even with Kate McKinnon, there was some really interesting discussions around um, the work life balance, around uh, performance and art and comedy and all of that stuff. I thought that part of it was like the conversations that happened when they were between destinations. I thought were were more interesting and that's what I, you know, I'm more interested in watching, but I had the same massive problems with the, uh, just the lens, you know, that through which the show was visiting these other spaces. I thought having the characters like, well, I guess the characters, the celebrities take Chang around their hometown or where they, yeah. like that was more, much more effective. There was a reason then other than just like, let's go visit, you know, let's jet off to such and such an area. And, um, it really, it's the least interesting parts of, of Ugly Delicious blown up to be the whole show, right? When we watched Ugly Delicious, we commented on like the random celebrity guest pop-ups for parts of the episode were always the least yeah. interesting. Whereas the conversations with the chefs and the, the, the vendors and the, the, People who, you know, the not, the grandma's making the pasta, right? <laughs> and ro- rolling the dough. That was the interesting part. That was the part that really gave you a window into the daily life and existence of these of these people who who define their lives and center their lives on food and these specific in these specific areas and cultures. So um yeah, there was stuff that I actually really enjoyed, but it, it was very dependent on the the relationship between Chang and and their guest and his yeah. guest and then and then like the energy of whoever else was in the room and with the added layer of how much privilege am I going to be annoyed by in this scene yes. and uh it was just a lot for some of the episodes like when they're yeah. you know on the on the mountain t- the the tea line stood out to me too like yeah. someone just you're in this glorious beautiful vista and someone is preparing hot tea for you and you're 
gonna make us like a snide comment. It's not like it's not the worst thing in the world. It's a very human moment. Don't get me wrong, but like also maybe check your privilege a little bit. Yeah, and also hot tea is exactly what you would drink after that. It's just it's yeah. Just- also, like well, but yeah, it's like you are in this country that you are not all that familiar with. You've been to, but you're not all that familiar with, and you are. You're, you're doing part of, I guess, an experience or whatever, a trip um, that is based on things people have done for hundreds of years, at least, maybe more. And part of that is drinking hot tea. Maybe there's a reason. Maybe there's yeah. a reason that people have been doing this for hundreds of years. And maybe you don't know what it is because you haven't experienced it yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just so not uh, it, because it feels like it's trying to do the the travel and discover the world thing like with like the in a tony bourdain sense it just so fails to live up to that anywhere near that that it really stands out in stark contrast for me yeah and i think that's a fair comparison um and i think like even as much as i am frustrated by the vancouver episode in part because seth rogan's laugh just grated so hard (laughs) um that um he at least knew the area and like steered them in directions of places to go. It was very personal. Yeah, it was deeply personal. And the the LA one also had that um, with weights sort of like, yeah, no, I know my area. And so we'll, we'll do my area, but also emphasizing that LA is just massive and ridiculous mm-hmm. and just there's so much here that you can never find it all type of thing. Um, and I really liked that kind of an exploration because there's a personalness to it of like, all right, we go, we like to go here. We like to go here. They know me here type of thing and the shifts that that allows. But it also, the thing with it is, is like that allows for with to have a conversation that shifts away from the food and becomes sort of like celebrities in restaurants with, Mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> um but then we shift to go to uh, gardenia getting to see different parts of like that los angeles that he hadn't been to either allowed for a different sort of um experience as well plus that diner just looked amazing and i just i i'd never really want to go back to los angeles but i want to go back to los angeles for that <laughs> <laughs> the one in the bowling alley the one in the bowling alley, yes. Because yeah. um, that just looked really, really good. Um, but I would also be that guy that would order um, chicken tenders at a crawfish restaurant because mm-hmm. I don't like crawfish or shrimp. Um, I don't like shellfish. So, um, but yeah. Just that kind of um, knowledge of an area um, allowed for a wider ranging conversation, um, which speaks to your point about the connection or the ability to draw a connection out, I think made a big difference, even though sometimes I got the sense that they just didn't have anything to talk about in the car based on the editing. (laughs) Well, yeah, there's that. (laughs) Um, Which was also fascinating um, as well. And I was just like, yeah, they're just, I feel like they're just kind of meeting for like the second time. And they even acknowledge the fact that they only know each other through other people. Mm -hmm. And so just like tossing them into a sort of like, all right, we're going to spend a day together. Mm-hmm. We're going to run out of things to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I think, also part of the reason why, like, their discussions end up feeling kind of repetitive for me to a certain degree. 
Um, but they're also probably the best discussions that the show ends up having. So, yeah. 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 Hopefully if they make more, they will steer more into that connect personal connection yeah. and that storytelling of like their personal experiences. Um, just less romanticization and less exoticization. Yeah. If that's an appropriate, if that's a word. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it is. Exoticism. It absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause like, there's the the ref, like repeated refrain of like the people's lives here are nothing like our lives. Nothing they don't have anything in common. Like they're still people. I guarantee you, you have things in common with these people, and you are just not curious enough to find out what they are because they're still people. They're still living their lives. They, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's just the humanist in me. Um, yeah. But there is, uh, you know, I think regardless of the situation people are people and um, yeah and rather than like rather than travel emphasizing how different we all are whenever i've traveled it's emphasized for me how similar we all yeah. are so that's seven that, that, that's where i'm at with it i think if you they do this again i think almost and i understand why like when they approached kate mckinnon it was just like so where would you like to go and she's just like all these eastern european countries <laughs> and cambodia and it's like they don't want to do New York. They don't want to do somewhere else, which is weird that Vancouver has the exoticness factor. Um, um, but they can also do Los Angeles because they really wanted Lena Waithe, but Lena Waithe was just like, I'm too f-ing busy. I can't travel. So, so I can't give travel. You a day. I can give you a day in Los Angeles. And they're just like, okay. And I think that the, the, if we do, if they do this again, then it's best to scuttle the celebrities, yeah, and just let Chang explore and give us Chang Chang's perspective, which admittedly is sometimes also not the best perspective, um, but it's at least focused, and it frees up the episode to really provide the cuisine and the history and the area to speak for itself, as opposed to a discussion amongst two people who have never been to this area ever before and that's not productive and that's not as interesting so yeah just get rid of those celebrities and just do breakfast lunch and dinner in different places and explore the cuisine through that lens or do breakfast second lunch first lunch second lunch uh dinner and dessert (laughs) (laughs) if you're in los angeles yeah oh man yep that was so much food so much food i don't even food well you know they i appreciated like when they were sitting with the pig with the like the lamb roast or whatever it was too where they're like get the crew in here (laughs) yeah for the marrakesh thing it's just like no this is too much but then like they go to like in LA and they just eat all of that food just all of it I'm sure they didn't I don't actually, know they, they, there's no way they actually finished those bags no there's no way but I mean it felt like they ate a lot of it mm-hmm. and then they went and had like that massive lunch at that diner yeah I don't even... and then they went to the Japanese place yep. the other Japanese place yep I yep. got a lot of food there yep lots so of delicious food. looking food guys yes no no <laughs> we'll super definitely delicious give them food. that <laughs> yeah 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 well, on that note, that wraps up this week's episode. Uh, yeah, I, would you recommend this? I would not. I would recommend just, if you haven't watched Ugly Delicious yet, go watch Ugly Delicious. Yeah, go watch Salt Acid uh, yeah. Fat Heat, right? I, I did it in the wrong order, but yeah, go watch Samin Nosrat's show. 
Yeah, yeah. I would watch. I would not watch this. Yeah. 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 Fingers crossed for the next one. Um, a few show notes. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can also find us an Apple podcast with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews there. We'd also appreciate ratings and reviews over at Stitcher where you can find the podcast as well. And then we are both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Noel, you are? At Noel RK, and we should thank Vince for that really nice thread about dubbing. That oh he, yes, um, thank you. Us. That was really really interesting. So Vince, thank you for that. Um, I I'm very thrifty with my favorites. However, that was really interesting, and I really appreciate the discussion you had about dubbing there. Um, that was really really good and very hel- very helpful. Sort of, and I'm always really curious about that because I've actually written a paper about dubbing before. Anyway, thank you for that, Vince, and thank you, Kate, for a really good week this week. <laughs> Yes, thank you, Vince. I favored everything, but I also <laughs> favorited those posts because the thread because it was very interesting. Yeah. Um, thank you, Noel, as well, and thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. 